Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Baseball Today. It is Ploof and Rose. We are reunited. Oh, man. Once again, this new wacky schedule. We go five days without seeing each other. There's a lot to catch up on. How you doing, dude? It's great to see your face. You keep saying this every show. I keep telling you we can get together on the weekends, but you're yep. busy. You got a lot of jobs. You have several hats. Several yeah. hats. Yeah, so, although you no know. hat on my head today because... I actually, my hair, for some reason, is in almost pristine condition. And yeah. I feel like it would be cheating the world <laughs> that consumes us on YouTube if I put a, a hat on this head today. It's a nice quaff you have going there, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I'll let you in on a little secret. So yesterday, I got called into service to, um, to cover our NFL game, the Browns and mm -hmm. Raiders. It was kind of an emergency switch, you know. The game had to be moved because of COVID from Saturday to Monday. And uh, we had a few personnel issues. And um, so they were like, they asked me on Sunday, my usual work day, hey, can you come in and host on Monday? And I was like, yeah, of course I can. No problem. But my hair was looking a little ratty on Sunday. <laughs> okay. uh, I think Rob, Rob, our, our outstanding producer, Robbie Shiraka, Rob, you put that little picture out of, of me on the Rose Rotation from Sunday, right? I did. Okay. So I looked at that and I said, okay, I, A, I look very tired and B, my hair is looking a bit disheveled. Is there any way I can get the person that cuts my hair over to the house at like 7.30 in the morning before I head in? Yeah, there you go. See, it was looking a little unwieldy, Ploof. So you just had an emergency cut at the house. Yes. Yeah, she came over and she did an emergency cut. And then I ran into work and she must have put so much hairspray that more than 24 <laughs> hours later it still hasn't moved that's your show i mean look you you realized there was a problem you took care of it that's why you get paid the big bucks buddy i like yeah. that by the way can we get a better shot than that one who somebody screenshotted it and like stretched it out from yesterday <laughs> you know it's like it's like what the uh barstool guys do with joe buck's head oh, i love that on camera i love that that's some funny shit that's some funny shit all right, so uh, staying hat-free today, or should I go hat? Because I've got a new special hat I kind of want to show off. Do, I think you should do both for the audience. They saw your beautiful hair. Now you okay. can show them the hat. All right, new hat. I want to thank the Fresno Grizzlies for sending a new lid. Even Ooh. though we're in a lockdown and it's the offseason, minor league teams are still coming through. So we'll put the link in the discussions here on our YouTube channel where you can get this. They've got another one that I'm going to be wearing later in the week, which is flat out awesome. But I kind of like this. I'm digging it. Yeah, that's a badass hat. I know, right? Kind of goes great with the black hoodie. I, f I feel like I've spun the odometer back. You look like Fred Durst. That's what you, that's what you look like. <laughs> Dude, Limp Biscuit in the house, man. Nice. Can you sing something for us? Yeah, no, I'll pass. Throat's a little gravelly, although that probably would work. With some limp yeah, Robbie, we need the split screen of uh, C. Rosie and Fred Durst in, in post. Yeah, in post. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> all right. We actually did have some baseball movement over the last 24 hours, uh, all of it happening in the dugout, but let's get to it. As expected, the New York Mets made it official on Tuesday. They have hired Buck Showalter as their next manager. Uh, is he indeed the missing piece to return the magic to Queens? I don't think he's the missing piece. And what's the magic? I need you to define magic. Is that? Well, I would say in 2015, where they made it to the World Series, that was a magical run. 
I don't think Buck's the guy that's going to put him over the hill, if you will. I think they've already done that with the offseason the they've had. Over the hill is like an old person term. Yeah, I'm sorry. Whatever. You know what I mean, man. That's going to get him to that next level. I think they've already done that with the moves they brought in. We don't have to talk about them. Our people know. They brought in a ton of excellent ball players. That's going to help him. Now, Buck, I think um, maybe he ups the chances just because he'll – he'll have everybody on the same page. I think that's what, what Buck brings is just consistency. Uh, you know what he expects out of you, you know, how he wants the clubhouse to kind of feel, and that's going to be a constant throughout the season. And we talked about this a bunch on Talking Baseball yesterday. That's, that's what a good manager does, you know, especially in today's game. Uh, the decisions are, are few and far between. That's, you know, there, there are some times where a, a manager still has to you know, decide whether the starting pitcher is, is gas, when, when to bring the relievers in, all that stuff. That's, that's about it. Uh, so Buck is, is really good for New York. You know, I, I gave it an eight and a half, I believe, yesterday at oh, a 10. That's high. Which is really high. I think it's a really good hire for them, uh, especially considering, you know, what they've gone through in their last, I guess, can you count three managers? You got Mickey Calloway, you got uh, Rojas, and you have Beltran. I mean, those all guys with, you know, very little managerial experience. Here comes Buck with a boatload. Uh, manager of the year in three different decades, I believe, uh-huh. which is insane. So that's what he brings. And when you have a team like this that's constructed to win, I think that's what you need. You don't need to take a chance on a guy, an unproven manager who maybe – you know, the clubhouse is rocking a little bit instead of that steady, uh, that steady ship that you need. So it's interesting. Uh, this is the higher I expected all along. In fact, when you bring up the three-time manager of the year, I believe he won it in 94, 04, and 2014. And wasn't it a month ago where I said that my prediction was he'd win it in Queens in 2024. And I guess yeah. I'll stick with that. Could be a fun, I like it. Set, as we like to say, um, I think he needs this situation as much as the Mets need him. He has been a great, in my opinion, a great, great manager, right? But what is the one thing missing? Consistent playoff victories and a World Series appearance. And I think between the financial support of ownership and the really good players that are on the field, he's got a great opportunity. Uh, There's been a lot written about him about um, accepting ownership of failures and how he gets guys all rowing in the same direction. There's been fascinating stuff. There was a great column about how he mishandled the Zach Britton stuff in the playoff. Oh yeah. Against the blue Jays. And then in spring training the next year, or, you know, when he gets everybody together, he apologizes in front of everybody. And I think that sort of stuff goes a long way for a clubhouse. Does it not? Of course it does. You know, you want accountability because managers, Managers expect accountability out of you right. and vice versa. That's how you earn the respect. I did see, I mean, there's a bunch of awesome Buck stories and quotes coming out now that he's uh, been hired. Uh, Machado, uh, I think it was Flaherty, who's a bench coach in San yep. Diego now, was talking about how Buck was the first male figure to challenge um, Manny Machado. To say this is what you have to do and not be like a, a yes man around him. And Machado said, Yeah, that's that is absolutely true. He taught me how to be a big leaguer. And that's kind of, you know, look, you have the respect of the veterans if you can do that. And now you're helping, you know, shape the future of your organization as well and, and doing it the right way. So I'm I'm happy for the Mets and, and Buck. And you made a great point. 
the financial commitment that he's going to have behind him mm-hmm. is probably the biggest thing he's got going for him right now, besides all those awesome players. So it, he's 65 years old. And when he started his big league managerial career, he was in his mid-30s in New York. So he managed there for four years. He understands that city. He understands the temperament. He's been a part of the media. He understands that side of it, too. Um, He is always prepared. I think this is a perfect match. And I think that this means a lot to him. Because even though he won't say that it's about him, he knows what's on the line for his managerial legacy. Right. I mean, if you if he doesn't make it to the World Series ever, people are going to say, well, what did you think of Buck Showalter as a manager? Yeah, he was pretty good. If he makes it to a World Series and wins one, that catapults him into a different stratosphere. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know, when you think about it, I I think about him now as, you know, a top tier manager already. But, you know, then, yeah, if you look and there's no World Series, I still think he is. But you're right. There's no conversation. Then if he wins a world series here, then he becomes, he gets put in the upper echelon of, of these managers for sure. Totally. I mean, he gets put in the, in the same area as like a Jim Leland type guy, I would say who, who won a world series and made it to another one with a different franchise. Um, you know, you're not going to put him in the same boat as a, a La Russa or a Bochi or a Tory or a Bobby Cox. Over hey, you don't know. Years. Hey, we'll see how these next four years go. That's true. Hey, ma'am, they could run the table. Could be interesting. I just think it's going to be fascinating to watch. And the one other piece of it that we haven't talked about is now Yankee fans will have smack dab in the same city. The ability, we know how much criticism Aaron Boone receives on a daily basis from the fans in the Bronx, right? Mm -hmm. What's it going to be like if Buck Showalter does a tremendous job cross town (laughs) in a different borough? You know, they're going to be more of the same calling for Boone's head. <laughs> but it's going to, I think that that'll be just another fun element of this entire discussion. Uh, Buck is going to be a lot of fun in New York. I think, totally. he, I think Buck is sneaky show too. Oh, I mean, he's got in his last name show show. He does. Yeah. I want to, I want to see him out of some fancy restaurants, dining and and, and doing that. Do you think that's him? He's a Mississippi guy, isn't he? Yeah. He went to Mississippi state. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. I don't think that's happening. He's not like you. He's more like me, like a grinder. Yeah. Cause that's what I'm doing. I'm hitting tau as much as I can at least four nights a week in my black hoodie. (laughs) Hi, uh, reservation for four for Durst. At 7.30. Thank you. Me and my band. (laughs) Uh, Another managerial move. John Heyman is reporting that Mark Kotze is getting bumped up. That's right. He'll be the new manager replacing Bob Melvin out there in Oakland. Is there a little bit of you that feels badly for Mark Kotze that now he is getting his first shot at a time where the A's are launching the for sale sign in their front yard Everything must go. Uh, not really, and I'll explain why. I, the one part of me that feels like that is because I know he has a really good relationship with Olsen and Chapman, like a really good relationship. These guys love Kotze, and we're thinking at least one of those guys is probably going to be gone, possibly both. So I think with those two players, I think that means something to him. 
but other than that, I'm going to steal this from my good buddy, Dallas Braden, who is obviously very plugged into the Oakland situation. Uh-huh. He, he said this is a great opportunity uh, for a first-year manager coming in with lower expectations. If you're coming in and it's like, hey, we got to win now and something happens, then you know people start to talk. But we're understanding that Oakland is in sort of possibly, because they haven't done it yet, the lockout, possibly a, a rebuild uh, where they're going get, to get rid of some of their players. But in Oakland, they don't fully rebuild ever. They're constantly rebuilding almost, right? Like there's, right. Never, there's never a window or not a window. So – I think Kotze is the perfect guy there. You know, he's put his time in. Um, he was a third base coach last year. I just know they respect him a ton in Oakland. And he's one of those guys who has the old school mentality. He was a player in that time where it was like shut up and grind, you know, no frills baseball essentially. But he's also young enough where he understands that that's kind of where the game has gone. So I think he has the perfect mixture of that old school mentality uh, but still understands, you know, what guys like in the game. And, and that helps you with your clubhouse. And again, that's a manager's job is to make sure your clubhouse is good. Make sure the guys are there every day, feeling good, feeling positive, feeling confident. And Cots has got that in spades. Like he, I remember, you know, he was, he was there when I was in Oakland and just, he'd pump you up. And it, it doesn't seem like much of the time, but that's, you got to have someone like that. And if you have your manager being the guy that pumps you up, it helps so much. Um, so I'm disappointed that if he doesn't get to manage Olsen and Chapman, but at the same time, I think it's a really, really good situation for him and the A's. A, I like this hire better than I like the buck hire. And I really, really like the buck hire. Wow. Better. Yeah. Well, I think that as long as Billy Bean and David Forrest can convince ownership, hey, things could get a little dicey here for a year or two. It really could on the field. As long as he has that support, I think it's going to be just fine. And, you know, he's going to have to learn his managerial voice. It's one thing to be a 17-year big leaguer. Uh, It's another thing to be a bench coach. Another thing to be a third base coach. Things of that nature. When you move up to the biggest chair there is in the dugout you know this floof you've seen the difference when guys have made that move sometimes it can be a little rickety it, it can be i think he has the demeanor for it though Oh, i they, agree with it yeah i agree there's with him and like the uh peer-to-peer stuff there was always still a sense of respect with it it wasn't like hey i'm joking around with my buddy here like you still respected him because you saw the, the work that he was putting in as a player and then as a coach. And really that's kind of all players want is knowing that you're willing to work with them whenever or willing to put in the work. And especially for a manager, you know, I think that he just, he just has it. He has the respect already. I don't know how else to say it. No, it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense. Um, I'm really happy for him. I remember the first time I saw him play. I It was my first full-time on-air job out in Reno, Nevada, and the Nevada Wolfpack was in the same conference as Cal State Fullerton. Mm. And they would play a, a full weekend series. They would come up and, and play their Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I remember hearing, yeah, they've got a really good team, and we think they've got the best player in the country. And I was like, oh, wow, this should be interesting. Dude was unbelievable. It was like Danny Almonte playing Little League World Series, even though physically he wasn't imposing. But he was just hitting rockets. He was throwing the ball from right field. Then he'd come in and pitch. And I was like, Jesus. It's like that's 
that's the Matt Chapman connection. That's why they're so close is the Cal State Fullerton thing. And yeah. I believe also KD, Chris Davis, went to Cal State Fullerton. So there's there's that. And that's a grinder college right there, dude. If you're playing at Cal State Fullerton, think about the guys that went through there. Kurt Suzuki, grinder. Like, I think my man Justin Turner went there. JT went there. There's a lot of guys that came through um, Cal State Fullerton. I like I, – I love this move. I, I like really that. Do. I, didn't they? Didn't they used to wear the pinstripes back in the day? Mm-hmm. They still, or they, I don't know if they still have those. I'm gonna ask you a question now. Yeah. Young, fit, big kind of guy. Is he automatically at the top of the? You know, um, like the what's what do they what, when everyone gets in the ring in wrestling? What is that called? The Royal Rumble. Is he the king of the Royal Rumble of MLB managers now? Oh man. Well, I'm trying to think who else. He's a big young guy. Kapler. Cap, yeah. Yeah. Oh, in hey, the Bay. Not, oh, my goodness. You know what? This is a spe- this has got to be a special edition. Yeah. Where we, where we would rank it. That's a great call. <laughs> okay. We're going to do that one time. The only other guy I would throw in there, he's a little bit older than those guys, but don't bet against him, Mike Matheny. Yeah, yeah. First of all, his hands are they're like uh, a catcher's mitt. They're so big and strong. You're like, oh, geez. And he's still really fit. Like, that's the guy you might – that's the guy who's going to be throwing people out of the ring. You know who sneaky was like that? It was Jeff Bannister when he was with the Rangers. Oh, yeah. Dude, he'd be in there working out in the morning, just getting after it. And you're like, this guy's kind of old. Then you'd shake his hand, and you'd be like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, old man strength, plus he's still working out. He's got me. I can't say shit to him. Dude, I love that. I think we should have a – we should do – it should be the two of us and maybe we get one other person to have a <laughs> Royal Rumble managerial draft. We each get 10 managers. Oh, baby. Where's Bucks slide in on that scale? But we're giving away too much. <laughs> I think we do that as a special Baseball Today edition. Okay. We'll do it. We'll do it. I like it. Okay. We're in a lockout, people. <laughs> uh, I was looking around um, the social media verse and saw Cubs fans – out caroling a little bit and changing some of the lyrics, perhaps to draw a big name free agent. Give a listen. It's bringing me back right there. See, very, that's very like, cute. If that's like me in third grade in church right there. If you can't quite uh, make <laughs> it out, Korea, come play in Chicago is what they're saying. Um, first Great of all, song, nice effort. Uh, I, I had to listen to it about 10 times to really figure it out. So maybe if we can work on our caroling, it's always hard. I think I never went caroling as a kid. But I used to obviously sing in a choir as a, as a kid, you know, just at school. And we do like a Christmas concert or whatever, even though I'm Jewish, you know, whatever. They, they let the That's Jewish fine. thing too, because it's seasonal. We sound. You got a voice? Huh? You got a good voice? Average. Oh, so you do. Average. I can okay. sing a little bit. It depends. It's got to be right in the ring. Got to be right in my sweet spot. I did it all for the Nikki. Come on, the Nikki. Mm-hmm. That's Limp Biscuit. Do you sing holiday carols? Oh, God, there it is. <laughs> there it is, Chirac. 
There it is. Oh my, what? Like next Halloween, this is it. Hold on. Oh my God. What do we think? For those of you that are audio only today, you are missing out. Go to the YouTube and just find this freeze. It is absolutely perfect. That's got to be your new karaoke. I'm going to get you. I'm going to send you over some stuff. Okay. All right. Um, Now let's talk about the idea of Carlos Correa on the north side of Chicago. Let's talk about it. Pipe dream or possibility? It's possibility. Look, you know, anybody can sign Carlos Correa. You know what you have to do? Spend money. Yeah. Nine figures and it starts with a three. That'll get him. That'll get it done. But I don't know if he's going to find that anywhere. You know, there was talks that the Tigers went two or 10 years, 275. That's right. what Buster Olney was saying, uh, which is not uh, nine figures with a three. And he's looking to set the market, which Corey Seager said. And I just don't think it's there for him. And um, there's some interesting talk about, well, if he doesn't find something like that, it doesn't seem to me like he's going to take a deal for, you know, 27 million bucks a year. Um, there's a chance of the one two-year deal maybe one year with a player option uh, of big money and that could be in houston he'd go back and run it back with the boys uh-huh. uh, or teams might start offering him that if teams are like hey we don't want to commit 10 years carlos but we w- are willing to commit you know three years at whatever desi- whatever your annual uh salary wants to be so i think there's going to be a lot of teams coming out of this lockout with some interesting plays for Carlos Craig because that 10 year thing, that's, you know, teams just really don't like to do it. No, I, I, and I understand it. And I think it's smart uh, financially for teams to start looking at those short term, big money deals that we've seen certainly being given to pitchers more so than hitters. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, as far as the idea of Correa ending up on the North side, it just doesn't feel like, I know that ownership gave Marcus Stroman a nice deal, but it this would be a different sort of stratosphere. And I don't know if that's where they are based on what they've done payroll wise over the last few years. That just doesn't match up. You know, people could say, well, why would Correa want to go there? I don't know. I mean, I think if, if you feel like a place, even if they haven't done as well as they've wanted to the last two years, as long as there's financial commitment and backing and a front office that says we're willing to make moves and add guys to the trade deadline is during your negotiations, whether or not you want to believe them, that's a different thing. I just don't think that the Cubs are, are in that space right now. I, I could be reading the tea leaves wrong. It, it doesn't seem likely, but you can't, you can't um, just completely rule it out. Um I think they're another team. Yeah, they went through that massive rebuild. They were the one of the stars of the rebuild program, and they got all their guys and their draft picks, and it worked out for them. Um, I don't know if they're going to go through that big of a rebuild again this year. So if, if they're thinking, you know, hey, like we have Stroman locked up, and, you know, maybe if we have a centerpiece in Carlos Correa, then, um, you know, we make some trades here and there. We can get back into contention rather quickly. But like you, I don't know where their mindset is at. Yeah, but let's remember that when they, when the Cubs were building that championship team, they mm-hmm. knew all those young guys were coming up, right? Brian, yeah. Schwarber, they had, you know, brought in Rizzo, who was still very early Baez. in his career. Huh? Baez, Baez, right? Baez, yeah. 
And then what did they do? They supplemented that with very, very big key free agent signings. John Lester, yep. Ben Zobrist. Say what you want about Hayward, but he gave a hell of a speech during a rain delay in game seven of the 2016 World Series. So they brought in guys that were going to be on top instead of the guy that was brought in to kind of spin the whole thing. I'm trying to look up where they're uh, <clears throat> where they rank in their, their farm system. I got it up right here. Let's check it out. What do you got? Anything interesting? I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. The further I go down, the worse it is, people. Oh, man. Let's just say they're not in the top 10. So, look, yeah, I think it's I think it's a stretch to have uh, Carlos in Chicago. But, again, any team can have Carlos Correa if they just pay the man. Okay. Last thing we saw, man, what a great offseason for Ichiro, although he's retired. So, I guess every day of the rest of his life is an offseason. Yes. But it continued with him befuddling a really, really good elite girls baseball team in japan <laughs> i think he hit a couple of batters he threw like a hundred he hit a couple of them huh he hit somebody i think he hit two <laughs> yeah and and one of them was like hey okay it stung a little bit but hey i got hit by ichiro so yeah. it's kind of cool i think he's he went eight innings 147 pitches struck out 17 something totally ridiculous topped out at 84 and i think he's like 48 miles an hour so let's just start with the fact how amazing the last few weeks have been with Ichiro. We saw him work out with a, a baseball team, a boys baseball team. He threw this game against an elite girls baseball team. We saw him show up at Dice K's retirement and kind of steal the show. Like the dude is a living legend. Yes, that's exactly what he is. He's a living legend, can go anywhere and just have a great time. He's like the world's most interesting man. Right. He is. Um, he really is. Is there somebody when you were playing high school baseball where you would have freaked out if they had come and like you had a chance to step into the box against somebody? Yeah. So the guy that I always like loved watching pitch, there's two of them, Eric Gagne, one of them who I just played golf with not too long ago. That was cool. Oh, okay. Um, my Pink bad. Dropper. Uh, and then it was Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson is, was like the scariest pitcher alive for a long time for the young kids that are watching this show. A long time, the scariest pitcher ever. Uh, so I would have loved to see that. And I'll give you a quick little Randy Johnson story. Uh, I get drafted, a uh, young kid out of high school, go into pro ball. I think that my second year of pro ball, so I'm 18, 19 years old. Uh, I get called up from the minor league side in spring training to go over to play in a big league game. And like, it sounds stupid now, but like at the time, that's like a dream you feel like you're in the big leagues you get to wear a, a fitted hat a leather belt all these cool things um so i'm stoked about it but also very nervous uh so i go there sit on the bench for the first five innings and randy johnson's pitching and i'm like okay this is at this time he's with the yankees old randy johnson but still randy johnson so i'm thinking i'm not going to play to like the seventh or eighth inning because usually you just come in you pinch run whatever well, i think someone got hurt Boom, ploof, like you're on deck. And so I get on deck and I look, I'm like, holy fuck, it's, it's Randy Johnson on the mound. What am I doing here? You know, I'm so scared. Uh, and there's two outs. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm about to get Randy Johnson right here. I'm like watching him, watched him. Anyways, the guy strikes out, uh, end of the inning. I don't end up facing Randy Johnson. But for a while, I convinced myself that I was about to take Randy Johnson deep probably would have ended up differently but uh randy johnson to me was 
the epitome of like a big league pitcher who, you know, was otherworldly. It's a good one. Yeah. That's a great one, actually. Now he takes photos all the time. I know, right? It's insane. I saw Who's your guy? I mean, listen, I wasn't a good baseball player, right? I stopped playing after eighth grade. I was the manager of our high school team. Um, why? Why are you giving me that look? I'm just, it's just, that's I, a look. I wanted to be a part of a team. I wasn't good enough to play. Our, uh, our, our coach back then, Chuck Selbach, he played in the show for about five years with nice. the Tigers. Billy Martin blew out his arm in the early 70s. But I loved being a part of the team. A lot of my best friends played on the team and stuff. So, you know, I'd get to take cuts during BP and stuff. They'd still let me practice with the team and stuff. So that was they, Did he ever pitch to you guys? Like, hey, uh, let me, Chuck let me get... did not. He did not. His arm was kind of just so shot. <laughs> we so had um, <clears throat> Mark Gubaza, former major league pitcher. They're just doing story time right now. Real quick again. Yeah. Mark Gubaza, uh, he does broadcasting for the Angels now, was a pitcher with the Royals, and I'm sure some other teams. Uh, uh, like Angels, I believe. Royals and Angels. Stud, he was coaching our rival high school when I was uh, playing in high school. So I was at Crespi High, he was at Chaminade High, and we were really, really good my senior year. I think we were ranked top 10 in the nation. Like, everyone knew we were really good. Everyone knew who I was because I was, you know, I was going to be for a first-round draft pick. In high school, yeah, sure. So <clears throat> what he did to get his team ready for me is he got on the mound and just let it – he said he let it fly. Like, I talked to him years later after they beat me. Uh, he threw as hard as he could all week at practice to get him ready for me. And sure enough, they came out ready and they beat me, man, really? on their own field. Yeah, and we should we should have crushed them, but they ended up beating me. And, and he said, yeah, like he the whole week he was just on the mound throwing as hard as he could getting ready for us. And uh, he said he threw his arm out, but it was worth it because they beat us. <laughs> wow. He's such a good guy, Gooby. It was, yeah, it was good. We had some heated battles, man, back in the day. So it was uh, Gooby's and um, Saberhagen coached it. Where'd he coach? In Calabasas. Mm, Calabasas, yeah. We used, to, we used to tear them up, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A little interesting story time. Never hurts. All right. Tell me a story of what you got coming up on John Boyd. Uh, kind of a emotional episode of sequence. So we coming out later today. Uh, emotional. It's, <clears throat> it's possibly the last ever sequence episode. Whoa. Nothing official yet, but you know, there's, it's quite possible that that'll be the last one ever. So I went with uh, my all time favorite at bat and it's it has nothing to do with me hitting a home or anything. I just, just go check it out. Wow. That's coming out you today. Well, if it is indeed the final episode of Sequence, do you need me to voice the trailer? Like, I'll be happy to do it. <laughs> it started in the garage of Trevor Plouffe, trying First, to bring baseball yeah. fans something they normally don't see when they watch the games. Matt Chapman diving to his left. No? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. And today... It all ends. One final at bat. It's Trevor Plouffe, his untold story. This is a good one, too. I like this episode, so go check it out. Uh, Again, nothing is 100% official, Chris. I can't bring you in unless it's 100% official. Wait, this isn't the last show of baseball today. Are you trying to tell me something? 
Is this no, it? because of baseball today and some other things that you and I want to do, there's oh. a possibility that sequence gets the squeeze. But again, uh, nothing's official. Okay. All right. Uh, we have the latest episode of the Rose Rotation. It is out with Miguel Rojas. We catch up with him. He's in Venezuela. And mm-hmm. we put the clip out yesterday. One of the many reasons he is back in his homeland is he is spending time with his mother. Who, If you've been tuning into his episodes on the rotation, you know that she's battling cancer for like the third or fourth time. She sounds like a remarkable woman. She's a doctor down there, raised Miggy, um, and is just a constant fighter. And he opens up about it. It's very difficult. She is not doing great health-wise, but he really lends some amazing perspective on where he is, where she is emotionally and mentally, and how important this time is for him because he says during the year, you know, once February starts and spring training goes, he is all in on baseball, you know? Yeah. And it's very, very difficult for him because she can't travel to the United States. She has to stay there for her treatment. Um, Really gets into that a lot. We do cover a bunch of other things. We talk about what's going on in the baseball world right now with the lockout. He's the, he's the Marlins player rep. We talk about some fun things. It's not just a heavy dose of, of but we, it's sure. kind of a whole cross-section of life. So I think you'll enjoy the episode. Uh, in addition, I am taping a lockout show today with Lucas Giolito, Marcus Simeon, and Zach Britton. Love this. Yes, it's going to be really interesting. And what we're going to do is you don't sit there and say, oh, God, I'm going to get hit over the head with labor talk. I think it's going to be very unlike anything you've really heard before, because a lot of what you may have read or heard in mainstream media, I think, has been more from an ownership angle. You haven't heard a lot from the players. I know that Andrew Miller did um, Starkville with Jason Stark, who's a guy I really respect and like a lot. This is going to be very different because it's going to have three different voices coming from three different perspectives of kind of where they are in their careers, right? Zach Britton has already cashed in on his big contract. Plus, he's a guy that's hurt right now trying to rehab, and he can't do that with the help of the team. Marcus Simeon just signed one of the biggest free agent deals we've seen out there. Lucas Giolito is a guy who's still in arbitration and is waiting for his big payday. So we're going to be talking about all the different angles. What is it exactly that the players are after? How can they boil it down so that we as just average fans can digest what you're doing, what you're fighting for? When we see teams spend almost $2 billion in the month of November, why is the system broken from your standpoint? Where do we go from here? And what, most importantly, what does it mean to us as fans? Like at the end of December, it means something different than if we're still stuck in this at the beginning of February. Sure. It's going to be very interesting to listen. And I just want to let you know that talking baseball is the number one labor pod in the history of the world. Now you're trying to take our shine. It's okay. That really wasn't my goal, but I think that's going to be a fascinating listen, just because of what you said, three guys at different parts of their career, all very in tune with what's going on right now. Yeah. Obviously it's tough for the lockout because there's not a lot of stuff happening, but to get their perspective, I think is really important. And instead of blanket statement, millionaires versus billionaires let's hear yeah. some people talk and, and it's on both sides too like i want to hear what players have to say i want to hear what the ownership has to say that's the way that you're supposed to ingest things like this like let's get both sides make your own decision on you know whose side you want to be on all that stuff i think you're doing the people a service chris like always you're a stud we're trying we're trying and then uh after that we've got our hall of fame show which we taped recently that's going to be coming out so we've got a lot of interesting things that oh are happening. Oh my gosh! Here. It just doesn't stop. 
even though baseball has stopped, we don't stop. And we that's don't the thing here at John Boy Media that I want people to understand. There's a lockout. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Cubs 18th ranked farm system in all of baseball. Good, good. Okay. So that would two be people in the top half. 100. So yeah, I don't know. Bottom half of the league. Mm. Is it during the lockout? We're not going anywhere. You know? Oh. Okay. So there's not player movement. That doesn't mean that we can't have fun doing the speculation game or come up with a great event like you just did today, Ploof. I'm going to be working on that baseball today managerial Royal Rumble. Dude, we're going to do it. We're going to get a third. I don't know. Robbie, pop on here a second. Yes, sir. How do you feel about maybe being the third member of our managerial Royal Rumble? Oh, Ooh, I love it. Yeah, that'd be great. Would you? Yeah, of course. Okay. Absolutely. I think it'd be fun. It'd be nice. The only thing you would need to do is get non-reflective glasses. Oh, yeah. If I'll I have to look off. at you like, okay. oh, no, see How's now. If, no. If, no. When you take okay. your glasses off, then it really freaks me out. You're oh, too okay. good looking. God <laughs> almighty. You know hey, also, are? we're plugging everything right now. Be on the lookout for my Night Before Christmas poem by Dr. Pluse. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be out on Christmas Eve. Oh my God. That's great. I'll be, I'll, I will read it while I'm eating my green eggs and ham. I can't wait. It's going to be, it's going to be a video. So, you know, you can just watch it. That'll be awesome. All right. Uh, Robbie, we done for the day. I think that's it. I believe so. Ploofy we're done. Boom. And we're, but we're doing this Thursday. Yeah. This our Christmas Eve Eve show. It'll be. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Thank you very much for tuning in. However, you consume us here on Baseball Today and John Boy Media. For our awesome producer who's got to work on his non-reflective glasses, Robbie Scirocco and Trevor Plouffe, I'm Chris Rose. See you next time here on Baseball Today. All right, Fred Durst, do your thing.